Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. And we'll take a, we'll take a pause on uh, hammering out the glory in the back. I love how the scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and so we can actually integrate all of that banging in the back. And it's like, this isn't a distraction, this is, you know, sonic evidence that God is speaking to us. Um, so, um, welcome everyone to what we affectionately call around here, Washer Sunday. We probably need a better, better name because that's probably relatively meaningless to anybody who hasn't uh, participated in this in the past. Uh, my name is Ryan, I'm pastor here at City Beautiful Church, and one of the things that we like to do at the beginning of the year um, is to ask the Lord to give each one of us vision for what will this year look like. Um, so we spend the, the, the last part of 2019 pausing and reflecting because we believe when we lay this foundation of remembering and gratitude for what God has already done, then when we begin to look to the future, it's not out of a place of anxiety. Because if we're honest, a lot of us, if it's just in the moment we're thinking about the future, even if you're thinking about lunch after this or next week or what's going to happen in 2020 or whatever it might be, there's a lot of anxiety. But to pause, slow down, to say, God, how have you spoken to me in the past? What have you already done? That gives us the confidence to say, okay, God, now let's talk about the future. And so today is our opportunity to kind of cast personal vision with the Lord for what, how he might want to lead you into new places in 2020. And then next week, we're going to actually unveil the vision for our community at large, which is something that our leaders have been praying over for months. And um, we're really excited about that. So today, uh, when you came in on your, on your chair, there's a little uh, half sheet of paper um, with a cute little... Uh, a clipboard, except for you guys, you guys got full-size clipboards, so consider yourselves uh, highly favored. And uh, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame kind of what vision is as opposed to, rev, uh, to a resolution. Uh, we're going to pause, there's going to be a moment for you to kind of pray uh, into that with the Lord, and then we're going to talk about, okay, how do we put uh, some shape to this? How do we give this some practical formation so that we can actually walk this out? Sound good? Anybody opposed? You can just get out. You know where the door is. Just kidding. All are welcome. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, testify to the truth that you're here and that you're with us, that you are for us, that you're not against us. And Lord, there's so much, uh, there's so much buildup at the beginning of the year and, and this feeling of refreshing and renewal and anticipation and excitement. And, and God, I know so much of that comes from you. Uh, but Lord, sometimes there can also be uh, hesitation or anxiety when, it, when we even talk about hearing the voice of God. And Lord, a lot of times the temptation is to, to, to lower our expectations. Um, and, and there's a lot going on there, Lord. Sometimes it's that we don't believe that you are particularly interested in speaking to us. And sometimes it's because we don't feel like we're capable or worthy of listening to you. And so, God, I pray now um, that you would send your spirit upon each of us here uh, to keep us open, to keep us tender, that our ears would be open to hear you speak, um, that our hearts would be open to receive your truth, um, that we would believe that, first of all, you are a God who is deeply personal and wants to speak to us. And secondly, that every single person here, no matter how much we know of you or how little, 
um, we are capable of hearing your voice and that whatever we hear today, we can trust that it's you. It's not just our egos building something up. It's not just us assuming this is probably what you would say if you were to speak, but it's actually you speaking to us and that we can have confidence in that. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. O Lord, a rock and a redeemer. Amen. So a huge theme in the New Testament um, in the, the early church, if you know the story of Jesus, Jesus comes and he begins to gather together a people um, that are going to inaugurate what God is doing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and then the community that forms around that new vision of what the world is to be like. And so a lot of what we call the New Testament are these letters that are being written to communities that are trying to work this out. How do we live in this new way of God? How do we receive what God has done through Jesus? And how do we incarnate it in the way that we live our lives? And many of you know this. We've been talking about this a lot recently. That journey of us entering into what we call the kingdom of God or the new reality of this is what it looks like when God is king. And this is how as human beings we're formed more and more in his image. It, that takes a long time. And a lot of what we find in the New Testament letters, especially that Paul wrote, who is one of the early apostles, are kind of helping uh, young Christians discern what is of the kingdom and what are the things that I'm kind of importing into this new way of Jesus? What are the things that I'm assuming based on my culture around me that are what God is like, what people are like, and how the world generally works? And that's kind of the primary reason for writing those letters. I take a lot of consolation of understanding the fact that if the early churches were perfect, and doing it right, the first churches, this is the first ones, okay, not us, like the first ones, if they were doing it right, we wouldn't have any letters, right? Because most of the letters are going, you know, gosh darn it, I love you guys. Okay, so here's everything I hear is going wrong, and that's basically the New Testament in a nutshell. And so um, we're going to look at two passages today, one from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and then one from Philippians, two of these communities in the Greek-speaking world, who are trying to figure out how do we remain faithful to who God is as revealed in Jesus, and how are we guided by the Spirit of Jesus to allow ourselves to be changed from the inside out, and then to live a faithful life. So the first passage is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses uh, 6 to 13. And Corinth is kind of like the, the New York City of the ancient world. It's a port city. It's kind of the crossing between the, the, the Greek-Roman world I'm reversing it for you. The Greek-Roman world of the West and then kind of Turkey, Israel, and beyond in the East, okay? So it's a crossroads. There's a lot of culture going through there, a lot of trade. It's a thriving city. Um, they, and then and because of that, the people that are coming together for uh, the, the message, for the way of Jesus, um, are all over the place in terms of their, uh, their social backgrounds, in terms of their economic backgrounds, and so on and so forth. And so Paul is trying to gather up this, this very odd group of people because you realize in the ancient world, we 100% divided each other by our ethnicity, by our socioeconomic status, and so on. That's how you did society. But this new imagined society of Jesus breaks down all those dividing barriers and brings everyone together and says, what do you have in common? And Paul's whole thesis is the thing you have in common is the spirit of God. So all of those ways that you normally categorize people don't work anymore, but that means that you have to start listening to the spirit of God and not to the conventional wisdom of your society, of your culture. And so this is kind of where we're going to be picking up uh, his conversation, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading this uh, from the New Testament for Everyone translation, just, just in case, you know, sometimes I think familiarity breeds unfamiliarity and unfamiliarity breeds contempt. So sometimes we're so used to 
through a translation, we just kind of skim over it and we don't really hear it. So this is what Paul writes to this community. We do, however, speak wisdom among the mature. And I want you to hold on to that word. That's going to be a major word for this year. Maybe some of you are going to hammer that out on your washers later. But this isn't a wisdom of this present world or of the rulers of this present world, those same rulers who are being done away with. No, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. This is the wisdom God prepared ahead of time before the world began for our glory. And so what he's already setting up is there's this status quo wisdom. He says the rulers of this world. And that's a phrase Paul uses um, a lot. And we can kind of bundle into rulers of the world. We can say, you know, the the political organizations of the day, the, the philosophies of the day, all these different messages in society say, this is how the world works. This is what it means to be a person. If, there, if we believe in God, this is kind of what God is like. So all of that package. And he's saying, we don't speak like that. We have this other wisdom. We have this other understanding of what God is like, of how he has crafted human beings and how we're called to live. And he continues on. None of the rulers of this present age knew about this wisdom. If they had, you see, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus wasn't assassinated because he said, hey, here's a ticket for you to go to heaven when you die. That doesn't threaten anybody. What, you want to talk about the afterlife? Sure, whatever. The, the threat of Jesus is saying there's a dramatically new way to understand what God is like and a new way to understand who, what human beings have been created to be and how we're called to be organized. That is very threatening. And that's the kind of thing that gets you beat up and assassinated. Because everybody else, the rulers of the sages, say, no, 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 we like things the way they are because it works in our favor. And so what Paul's saying is we have been gathered around this and that was the reason that the rulers of this age chose to assassinate God. But guess what? God passed through death into new life and he's vindicated, which means he's been proven to be who he really is because now we're seeing this new thing break forth in the old world. So as the Bible says, human eyes have never seen, human ears have never heard. It's never entered human hearts. All that God has now prepared for those who truly love him. And I love that, that God has prepared these things for those who truly love him. I've heard it said that uh, listening and loving are so close that they're practically the same thing, right? And those of you who are in love, you know what I'm talking about, or you should. <laughs> Let's be honest. Sometimes we don't necessarily listen to those we love, and we kind of assume things of them. But listening and loving are so close. And so God has prepared these things for those who love him. And for us to love God is to learn how to listen to him. How to discern what are the messages that I'm just kind of assuming about how he works and who I am and how the world works. And and where am I actually called to tune my ear to hear the voice of God to allow him to speak these truths over me. And Paul continues, and that's what God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Which Spirit? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, or I like to say the Spirit of Jesus, just to kind of connect the dots in the Trinity. The Spirit, you see, searches everything. Yes, even the depths of God. Think of it this way. Who knows what's really going on inside a person except the Spirit of the person which is inside them? Well, it's like that with God. Nobody knows what's going on inside God except God's Spirit. And we haven't received the Spirit of the world, the conventional wisdom of the rulers of this age, but the Spirit that comes from God so that we can know the things that have been given to us by God. This, then, is what we speak. 
We don't use words we've been taught by human wisdom, but words we've been taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. Our expectations for everything change as we enter into the kingdom. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is you don't have to have it all figured out before you get to enter into it. Because that's just another way of you trying to save yourself. If I can understand it and I can measure it and I can read Paul, which is really dense, then all of a sudden now I'll be in the kingdom. But really what's happening is Paul is saying, you've been rescued into this kingdom. You're swimming in this new reality of God and you don't totally understand it, but you've got to trust the spirit is going to lead you and it's going to reveal to you these new things about what God is really like. And as that happens, our expectations for who God is and who we are and what we're called to do, those things begin to change. I love in the Psalms, it says, it's, you know, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So what happens when you take delight in the Lord, when you build relationship within him, you trust that he wants to be with you, is he actually gives you desires. And he weeds out of you all the desires that come from the old world and he begins to plant inside of you new desires for the new world. And a lot of what that means specifically is that God redefines what success means for human beings. And so what we're talking about here when we're thinking about receiving the spirit of God as opposed to the spirit of the world, listening to the voice of God as opposed to listening to the rulers of this age, is we're talking about the difference between vision and a resolution. Now, I have nothing against New Year's resolutions, okay? You want to lose 30 pounds? Great. I I wanted to drink more water a couple years ago, and look at me now, okay? (laughs) This is not a mojito. I said, this is Miami Ryan. He likes mojitos and he likes reggaeton. This is just water. That's a great resolution. You know, there's nothing wrong with resolutions. There's nothing wrong with beginning the year and saying, what do I want to become? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do this year that's different from last year? That's fine. That just has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Okay, and that's what I want to challenge you with. We're not making New Year's resolutions. Because what resolutions become, if we think that a resolution is about answering that question, how do I get saved, then it becomes about our salvation. Then it becomes about works. Well, if I work really hard, if I'm just a better student, if I read more books, if I lose 30 pounds, then all of a sudden I'm in the kingdom and I'm in relationship with him. And it's something that we're manufacturing in ourselves that we have decided. So we still kind of control the narrative when it comes to resolutions. We have decided this is what we want to do. This is who we want to become. Vision uh, operates more on this idea of covenant which is a promise that we've made with God, that we've been given an idea of this is where we're going together. And again, this is the part where now I need to listen because it's not about me just creating something within myself and then trying to come up with a plan to follow it. It's me co-laboring with God to say, where do you want to go this year? You know, I've talked about it many times before with the Israelites in the desert, that they're, they are out in the desert there for 40 years, and they're saying, God, where are we going? The, okay, promised land, what's that going to look like? What can we expect? And God's response is always, I'm with you. And the Israelites go, yeah, okay, so where are we going? What's it going to look like? What can we expect? What's the five-year plan? And God says, I'm with you. And they're like, okay, we get that, but seriously, God's like, no. Until you understand who I am and that I'm with you, It doesn't matter where we go. It's not the promised land. You realize that? Like if the Israelites just made the five-year plan, do you realize it takes about three weeks to walk from Egypt um, to where they were supposed to end up? It took them 40 years. 
And if they had just gone ahead and made the plan and then executed it, it's not the promised land. It's just a patch of dirt. It's not the promised land unless the promised land is guided by the fact that you're intimate with God, that you're with him. And so your resolutions, sure, become a healthier person, do all this stuff, but vision is about learning intimacy with God and learning how to live into that. And it's about covenant. It's not about works. So my word for last year, I've, I've kept it on my keychain. How many of you did that? You kept it on your keychain or it's hanging from your rearview mirror in your car. Mine was holy joy. That's what the Lord spoke to me last year. And the way that I like to do it now is I show up on this Sunday and I have no idea what it's going to be. You know, I used to kind of take two weeks and kind of process and all of us then come in and go, okay, I know it. This is just the way that I do it. I'm not saying that's prescriptive. And I was actually quite surprised. I didn't think joy was, well, maybe this is the problem. Joy wasn't a value that I had. <laughs> I tend to be a very cynical person. Um, but the, I felt like the Lord spoke to me that it's going to be holy joy. You know, and when I was reflecting on this past year, what does that mean? I definitely can see the difference between if I had just assumed, said, okay, holy joy, bang, okay, let's go to the dictionary. What's joy? Okay, bang, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and every third day, I'm going to, whatever. And when I look back at it, I'm going, oh my goodness, this was nothing like what I would have anticipated that I thought joy was. Because what I needed to do first and foremost was come before the Lord and go, what do you mean when you say joy? Because I have this sneaking suspicion that it's not what I think it is. Because I thought it meant I'm going to be happier and I'll smile a lot more and whatever, you know. And uh, that happened. I think I probably smiled more this year, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. But saying, God, what is this? And I want you to lead me into it. And coming to some very new conclusions of what that means. And that's the beauty of vision is that we have to let go of defining, okay, this is what it's going to look like. And we enter into it a little bit more open-handed and say, I have no idea what this means, Lord, but I'm willing to walk it out with you to see what it is that in 12 months when we come to this place to go, oh my goodness, I had no idea that this was what it was going to be. And I think this is what's so dramatic about the difference between vision and resolution. Vision from God does not guarantee us a life free from failure, suffering, or struggle. Pause for emphasis. But a promise of intimate relationship with him, regardless of what happens to us. When we make resolution, what we're saying is, I want to be healthier, I want to be wealthier, I want to be more in control of myself. Like we always think in terms of prosperity. And again, nothing wrong with that. I think those are good things. We should always endeavor to be healthier. I think it's a good thing if you want to become wealthier, if it's for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and so, you know, have better relationships. And, and all of that stuff is fine. But sometimes what happens when we talk about vision and resolution is we have this idea that ultimately the life God is calling me to live means that I'm free from failure and I'm just killing it every day, that I'm free from suffering, like I'm just going to feel good all the time and I'm free from struggle, like everything will just come naturally to me. You know, I think of like when we're adult, like when we're kids and we think about being an adult, that's what you think being an adult means. You kind of understand the way the world works. You know, you have answers for everything and it kind of, it kind of you know, everything just works out when you're an adult. I think it's almost laughable when I listen to myself now talking about like, oh, I'm in a season of transition or this is a busy season. And I'm going to be 36 next month. And I'm like, when does that stop? And that's how I've measured what being an adult means. Like, oh, when I'm not quite so busy or when I'm not in a series of transitions. But realizing, oh, maybe that's just the way life is and I actually need to re-engage re what it means just to be mature and to be present in that and to own 
the, the aspects of my life rather than just making these excuses. Like, I'll be more serious about my relationship with God when things slow down, when I'm not in a period of transition or whatever it is. And, and guess what? Surprise, surprise, being an adult doesn't mean that you know everything. <laughs> Wish someone had told us that 20 years ago, you know? But realizing, like, oh my goodness, this is actually about a steadfast commitment that God will be with us no matter what. It's not about measuring our lives by all these external factors. And we find this in another passage of one of Paul's letters to a little church in Philippi, which is kind of up in the middle of nowhere. I've always talked about it as kind of like the Wisconsin of the, of the Middle East. It's up there, you know, it's, there's people there, but it's like very small um, town. And uh, they're not a very well-off community. And Corinth, super well-off, New York City, okay? Uh, this is Moose Jaw, if you know where Moose Jaw is. I think it's in Saskatchewan, okay? That's what Philippi's like. And they don't have a lot of money, um, but at the end of his, what Paul talks about them, and he actually talks to the Corinthians about the Philippians. He's like, these guys, out of their poverty, they've been so generous, and they've really helped my ministry. And he's talking to them about that kind of at the end of his letter uh, to the Philippians in chapter three. He says this, he's talking about them um, kind of giving to the cause. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every and every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And this phrase, this, we see this all the time in our, in our culture, and I don't think we appreciate what it really means. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And how many times have you seen that pass, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? And you've seen that kind of imported into the manifest destiny, right? Like you've got these big dreams, you've got these visions, you've got these things that you want to accomplish. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And it's like this kind of external measurement of what that means, Right? Like, if you just believe hard enough and you've got Christ, you can accomplish anything. And it's just onwards and upwards. Glory to glory, baby. Like, we're going to do it. We're going to make six figures and we're going to increase our reach to 5,000 people and blah, blah, blah. And, like, and we've, we've taken the scripture and we've imported into the idea of resolutions. It's something that I come up with on my terms and I'm going to just live a, a more killer life than I was before. And Jesus is going to give me the stamp of approval for whatever I want. When we actually read this in context, we find a dramatically different wisdom. Because what Paul is saying is, my confidence, my contentment is not based on all these external measurements of a healthy life. It's not based on what I have and what I don't have, and where, where I am and where I'm not. And he's constantly, through all of his letters, he's constantly trying to wrestle back into the kingdom people who begin to think in those terms. And I think it's one of the most powerful things that Jesus does in the new covenant is he begins to reassess what is success, what is the good life. You remember the first sermon that Jesus preaches, he starts out with, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. Not a great way to bring in tithes. You know, if Jesus had gone to seminary, maybe he would have learned you come out and you tell people, like, you're just going to crush it this year and we're just going to keep doing it and you, you could do all things through Christ, baby, and we're just going to... No, he says, all these people, they're the ones that are blessed. Because the conventional wisdom of the day was, if you're poor, if you're sad, if you're unhealthy, well, you've just got to be cursed by God. Conversely, if you're wealthy and if you're healthy and you've got all this power and privilege, well, obviously, you must be blessed. 
And Jesus flips that whole paradigm upside down. And Paul is constantly bringing people back to that reality. True contentment in life, true joy does not come from these external measurements of what a quality of life means. But it's about the fact that God is with you. What happens when we continue to try to sell success as spiritual maturity? Think about that. When we judge our quality of life by what we have, by what we do, and what, by what people say or think about us, we will never be content. I promise you that. If you continue to judge yourself by your stuff, your skill set, about your performance, about having a good attitude, about being a hard worker, whatever it is, or if you judge yourself by what you're hearing from other people trying to make a good impression on them, you will never, ever, 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 ever be content because it's, it's, it's sifting sand under your feet. And you're always going to be chasing after it and gobbling, trying to gobble up this affirmation that you need when the God who is of the universe, who is consistent, who is with you and for you always is right there in front of you. You and I, we need to attach our confidence to something that is eternal and unwavering if we're going to find true contentment. You know, um, we find this in the marriage vows, actually. We've got, uh, John and Andrew, are you here? No, they're not here. This oh, there they are. We just did our first premarital counseling session on Thursday. Exciting. At El Cafetal, I had the templeque. <laughs> Miami Ryan. And we talk about this in the, in the traditional marital vows. Like if you came to your spouse and you said, I promise that I'm always going to be healthy and I promise that there's always going to be six-figure income and there's always going to be food on the table and we're just going to move from glory to glory, you need to run. If someone ever promises that kind of life to you, run far away. Because what do the marital vows say? And I think this is so beautiful because it's the, it's the, it's the image, it's the, it's the living symbol of what life with God is. It says, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, until death do us part. So it says, I'm making covenant with you. I'm going to be with you no matter what happens in our life. And I'm not going to measure our relational covenant based on all of these external things. I'm not going to leave you because you're not making enough money. I'm not going to leave you because all of a sudden you get sick. I'm not going to leave you because, you know, we don't get the house in the cul-de-sac with the fence on it that we can drive into the garage and get into the house so we don't have to deal with any of our neighbors. Like, I'm not looking for that kind of life. Like, it, our love is based on our commitment to one another, come what may. And I think that that's so key for us understanding what it means to have vision with God for our lives. So I want you to close your eyes, and I'm just going to read through very quickly a couple phrases that are I and just see which one of these resonates. I just put, like, put your hand on your chest just so you can feel your own heart because maybe one of these you'll feel your heart jump a little bit and it's good for us to get in contact with like, how our body is speaking to us in these moments. And just consider, what do I place my confidence in? My confidence is in my success. I place my confidence in being perfect and doing everything right. My confidence is in my stuff, what I have, what I own. My confidence is in being safe and secure. 
Maybe that's money. Maybe it's relationships. My confidence is in how I treat other people, in being well-liked. My confidence is in my physical appearance, in looking like someone that people want to know. My confidence is in my mastery of skills. My confidence is in how much I know. Which of those resonates most with you? And do you realize that in that there may be some conventional wisdom from the rulers of this age that are importing something that said, this is who you really are. If you just buy this product or if you just tried harder, then maybe you'd be the kind of person that people love and that people like. And for those of us who are Christians to say, if you just kind of live this kind of life, then maybe God would like you. Maybe he'd pay attention to you. Maybe he'd love you and give you what you need. So I want you to take that, that half sheet of paper and we're going to kind of do the first uh, meditation here. There are two questions on there. Number one, how does God see me at this point in my journey with him? As kind of the antidote to those narratives that we're importing from the rulers of this age. How does God see me? To say, God, how do you see me right now in my journey with you where I'm at? And the second one, what is a word or a phrase that will guide my journey with God in 2020. So I'm going to set a timer. You've got four minutes. Um, I just want you to work through that in prayer and, and be willing to be surprised and delighted by what the Lord shows you.
two minutes. One minute. So feel free to continue to write. <clears throat> There's also no promise that you're gonna get it together in four minutes and that's okay. Oh, see, there you go. I have this sneaking suspicion that all these Christian words that we use, that we find in the Bible, all are different variations and different angles of looking at intimacy with God. Do you feel that? Like with joy or grace or peace, it's kind of like, I think that has more to do with this relationship with God than it does anything else. And I love that. And so what do we do with what we hear? This is so much of what we talked about in the second half of last year. What do we do when we open ourselves to hear God speak and he speaks and then we actually have to respond to that? Well, I think a lot of times vision from God, like when, when, I, you know, when I teach, when God speaks to us, sometimes God speaks and says, here's the thing that I'm calling you to do. And sometimes God speaks and says, here's the thing that I'm going to do and I just want you to watch. Okay. I think vision kind of lives somewhere in between those two kinds of prophecy. And when God speaks to us, generally speaking, when it's about our relationship with him and it's about intimacy and our vision for where we're going to go together in the year, it's a co-laboring that we're being invited into. And so we need to do our part to steward in the same way that you can't get married. So John and Andrea, pay attention. You can't just get married and go, all right, gotcha. Let's see it. You know, you have to steward your marriage. You have to continue to invest in one another and do your part because it's not just like one and done, you've got there, okay, now it's all on the other person to see this thing come through. And so we need a rule of life to steward vision from God so we don't get distracted. I think the great plague of our era is distraction. 
which leads to isolation, which leads to busyness, which leads to more distraction. It becomes this cycle, isolation, busyness, distraction. And that's when we start to say things like, oh, I'm just in a busy season. Oh, I'm in a season of transition. When things slow down, then yes, I'll do this. And we let our life get away from us because we're, we're appealing to the demands of lesser gods. Is there anything more important than this, what we're doing right now? And so a rule of life is a way of us, of us doing our part of co-laboring with God to, to work to keep him at the center of our focus, to say everything else takes a back seat when it comes to my relationship with God. And I think what happens with a rule of life is it's, it, it plays into this beautiful interplay between passion and discipline. Okay, both passion and discipline are gifts from the spirit that are meant for your liberation, for you to become a freer, wholer person the way that God designed you to be. But passion will not guide you through your whole life. And anybody that told you that you're just supposed to follow your passions is a liar and a fool. That'll get you about five months into your life. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm not passionate about this. So I'm going to go find the thing that I'm passionate about. Okay, and that's when we idolize passion. We have to recognize when passion is in our lives, it is a gift from God that is meant to animate our heart to do the things that he's calling us to do without, like, it feels effortless when we're passionate, right? Like, we don't have to be told, we don't have to schedule it, we can't get enough of it. Um, And then on the other side, there's discipline being a gift from the Holy Spirit. And you cannot get through life only on discipline. Because what happens if you just make it about rules and regulations and being a good boy, being a good girl, behaving yourself, is you fall into legalism and you forget that it's about being in love. We find this in in the the last book of the, the Bible in Revelation that John is writing to these different churches and he says, you need to come back to your first love. You forgot what this was about in the first place. And you're going about doing Christian things and Christian stuff and reading Christian books and going to Christian conferences, but you forgot that it's about love. And allowing that to kindle. And when we recognize that passion and discipline can both be gifts from God when properly held, they, they animate one another and they create this fuller, long-term, sustainable relationship with God. And so why do we call it a rule of life? Because rule can be one of those words where like, oh my gosh, it's about behavior. It's not about behavior. The word rule has its roots in the Greek for trellis, okay? And a trellis, if you know what a trellis is, it's kind of a structure that's built to help a plant grow and become really healthy because it kind of guides where it's going to grow and it helps it to branch out. And when you prune it and everything and conform it to the trellis, it becomes a really healthy plant that produces healthy fruit. And so a rule of life is a trellis that we establish that helps us to cultivate our relationship with God and make sure that it's healthy and thriving and producing good fruit. So very quickly, you'll see on the the second question um, on your little half sheet is about what is the rule of life that you could establish. And I'm going to just briefly run through uh, just a few different disciplines that you can add. Maybe you're doing some of these things, maybe they're new to you, or there's others that aren't on this list. But we're just going to take two minutes and I want you to just in, in prayer with the Lord say, what are just two things that I can enact in my life over the next few months? Okay, um, the 15th century mystic Thomas Akempis said, if we were just to eradicate one vice from our lives per year, pretty soon we'd be perfect. And I love that. It's really challenging because we have this pressure, like I've got to get it all together right now or God's not going to approve of me. What if God says, hey, buddy, let's just do one thing in 2020. And then in 2021, we'll do another thing. Because guess what? God works very slowly. We're not a race. We'll get there. And that's what happens when we follow him. 
So really quickly, here's a couple things. Maybe your rule of life includes scripture. Maybe it's just straight up sitting down and reading scripture. Working your way all the way through a gospel, I think is a great start. Maybe it's about learning how to meditate on scripture. Every Friday morning, there's some of us that gather at the North Quarter Credo just over there. We meditate on the Psalms and we use what the Lord is revealing to us to intercede on behalf of our church, our city, and the world. We speak a lot in this community about silence and solitude, the quiet consent of your person, your mind, your heart, your body. Just taking those five minutes in the beginning of the day, slowing down, being silent before the Lord, you know, taking that psalm seriously, be still and know that I'm God, and then jump back into the chaos of your life. Maybe it's establishing prayer rhythms in your life. And I love, I, I have on my own calendar, it pops up at 9.30 a.m. every day for me to pray the serenity prayer, which is a very simple little prayer. It says, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I pray that every day at 9.30, and it generally sets the tone for the rest of the day, because now I'm thinking about what can I control and what can I not. So maybe you want to enter into rhythms of prayer. You realize that you don't have to just pray when you feel like it. You can actually be, discipline yourself into it. Uh, next, study. Maybe there's an idea or a concept that the Lord wants you to learn more about and you want to read spiritual books or enter into a season of study. Maybe it's Sabbath, taking one day out of the week to say, I am not a human doing, I'm a human being, and just learning how to rest in that and not working every day of the week. Maybe it's simplicity. Simplicity is a very big term for a lot of different things. It's removing distractions. Maybe you need to delete social media for a little while. And if you are the kind of person that your heart just left when I said that, that one's for you, okay? Um, maybe it's giving away your income, practicing radical generosity, simplifying your life by giving away money. Maybe it's fasting. Every Friday, you want to fast and, and, and pray in that time. Whatever, just simplifying your life to get rid of the distractions so you can focus on the Lord. Uh, play and recreation. Like we need to re-engage with the concept of play. And what does that mean for us as Christians? It means delighting in God's kingdom. Um, this has been a big part of me pursuing holy joys. Even uh, yesterday, Christy and I went up to uh, Wakiva Springs and went for a hike. We went outside. We enjoyed God's creation. Doing that kind of thing is really important. Uh, maybe it's service and mission. You want to go and find a place where every week you show up and you serve, whether or not you feel like it. Maybe it's learning how to be more missional when it comes to your workplace and talking to your coworkers about Jesus, whatever that might be, but stepping out and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe it's caring for your physical or your emotional health. Maybe you realize that there's something there that's holding you back from being present to the Lord. Like, oh my goodness, like a lot of times what happens, I'll sit down with somebody when they're talking about like major anxiety and they feel distant from the Lord and we'll go, how's your sleep? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating vegetables? Are you drinking enough water? Let's deal with all that, and then we'll talk about if it's demonic possession. Because sometimes it's just the pizza that you had the night before. Uh, but caring for your physical health, caring for your emotional health as a way for you to cultivate relationship with God. And then finally, community. Is it joining a community group, which we're going to be launching at the end of the month? Is it finding a mentor a Christian who's been walking the journey for a while that can help you process your own journey. Maybe it's practicing hospitality, welcoming in new people uh, to come over to your house, to sit, to eat with you, getting to know them, listening to their stories. And maybe there's something around community. So I want you to take two minutes and just consider that. What are two disciplines that I can add to my rule of life 
to help me steward the word God has given me. Just take two minutes and consider that. When you're ready, I want to invite you to stand. And you can continue to, to, to sit, to journal, to pray. We're not in a rush. But we're going to continue on here. So when you're ready, just stand with me. I think the key to a rule of life and spiritual discipline is, you know, I hear this from a lot of people where they'll say, um, oh, I tried that and it didn't work. And I say, how long did you try? And they said, uh, like a week. <laughs> Do one thing for six months and then talk to me and tell me if or not it worked, okay? Um, two things with spiritual, spiritual discipline I think is so helpful. Showing up, already a success, okay? If you showed up, you did it. Good job. Anything else is just icing on the cake. And secondly, uh, and this is something that my friend Mark has reminded us of uh, many times, uh, it's about wanting to. It's not about have to. As soon as we think about spiritual discipline in terms of like, I have to do this, we've made it legalistic and we've made it about what do I have to do in order to earn the kingdom of heaven. If we can change our mentality and go, what, do, what are the things that I want to do because I want a steward relationship with God in 2020 and I want to see this word that he's given me come to fruition, I think that we're going to find more longevity in those things. Remember that Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as soon as it becomes heavy and burdensome, throw it away, start it again, okay? So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to come forward to the table to receive Holy Communion. And, you know, I think about communion as kind of like sealing the things that God has said for us. Like, again, putting God at the center is coming and taking the body and blood of Jesus, remembering what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us, and taking that into ourselves as a covenant. Uh, this is the promise. This is the wedding ring that we've gotten as the bride of Christ that he's still with us. He's for us. He will not forsake us. 
And that's what communion's all about. So I'm going to invite you to come forward, starting in the front rows, moving back. There's three stations. And then when you're ready to go back and to hammer out that joyful noise to the Lord, to say, this is the testimony that God has spoken to me. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who speaks. You speak to us personally. You want to speak to us. You desire it. You enjoy interacting with us. And sometimes, Lord, we don't always have the confidence to believe that you even like us, that you want to be with us. But Father, I pray that through these exercises today, we can trust a little bit more that you are who you say you are. So Father, as we come to this, your table, to sup with you, I pray that this would be the reminder to us of your steadfast commitment to us, your withness that we don't have to earn anything from you. We have to receive what you have gifted us with and then enter into a co-laboring relationship with you to see these things come true. So bless the sacrament, Lord, that for us it would be the body and blood of Jesus. Continue to speak to us, Lord, and guide us that one year from today we come here praising you for what you've accomplished in 2020 and that it did not look the way that we thought, but it looks far better pray all these things in the strong and the blessed name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's come to the table. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.